Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz, for coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, we got an opportunity to watch an OTA practice earlier this week, the one that was open to the media and the public. We also got to hear uh, from players in the locker room and from the defensive and special teams assistant coaches. And I want to start with this. We don't normally start a show with something that an assistant coach says on this show. But if there is one thing to take away from that availability with the defensive assistant coaches, it's that outside linebackers coach Mike Smith could not be more fired up about Rashawn Gary being in his room with his guys. You know what it reminds me of? Uh, I remember as a kid, right, you have a Christmas morning, Santa puts out all the <laughs> presents. I remember there was this one year where I think I had said I wanted like a, I don't know if it was like a Cactus Jack or Mick Foley, like figurine type deal for like WWF. Okay. And I really wanted this thing. It was like a three different figurines and I got it. And as soon as I got done, I didn't even touch the other presents. I got done with this box. I ripped it open, ran downstairs, and played with it. Now, mind you, I was like 10 years old at the time, so give me a break here. Okay. But I was like 10 years old, and I, I just sprinted. Did that not seem to you like what Mike Smith did the night that they drafted Rashawn Gary? He actually made a row? comment that he like was running up and down the hallway, <laughs> I mean, which I'm not sure if it was too much of an exaggeration. He's, he's really, really excited about the fact that the Packers drafted Rashawn Gary at number 12 overall and that he's going to get a chance to coach this guy. And everybody always says they like their guy. Their guy's always oh, yeah. the number one player in the position in their right. draft. But Mike Smith, man, listen to him talk. I believe it. I mean, this guy, I mean, I'm a non-athlete here. Five foot nothing, hundred and nothing. I wanted to run through a wall for the guy by the time he got done talking. <laughs> he was fired up, and he's excited about Sedarius Smith, Preston Smith, all of the resources they've added into that room. But as he said, when he looks at Gary, he doesn't care what the pundits say. He's not paying attention to who's writing what about these prospects. He's just looking at them at face value. And he said afterwards, with all the criticism that Gary received for his motor, how much, you know, taking plays off at Michigan. He's like, you go and find anybody at the University of Michigan that said that. And he's like, trust me, I talked to them all. You're not going to find anyone. They believe in the kid. Yeah, he didn't get as many sacks as maybe people want for a top, you know, 10, top 15 pick. But as Smith said, he's like, I'm not as interested in that as much of him affecting games, affecting plays, and that's something he did at Michigan. He made people around him better. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing we heard in a very general sense from Mike Smith throughout his uh, discussion with the media is he talked about affecting the quarterback. And there are all kinds of different ways to measure it. I know you and I had talked about it when the Packers signs Darius Smith and Preston Smith. Neither one of these guys is a double-digit sacker, you know, doesn't have 50 sacks in his career, anything like that. But when you look at some of the other metrics that are used by Pro Football Focus and other websites and other analysts out there, when you talk about pressures and the times that a quarterback is affected by a certain individual, individual, it's guys like the Smiths who rank pretty high across the league in that even if they didn't ultimately get the sacks. Rashawn Gary, by all accounts, it sounds like it sounds like he had a very similar type of career at Michigan, but also in the sense that oh, there's a lot of film that shows him being double teamed and right. whatnot, you know, freeing up his teammates to, to do things. I don't see Rashawn Gary as a rookie in the NFL getting double teamed. So if he's single blocked, okay, let's see what happens here. And Mike Smith's biggest point 
at the end of it was, if I've got a bunch of guys in that room that are all worried about how many sacks they're going to have, they're going to be really disappointed football right. players because it's hard to get them in the NFL. The way they're going to be evaluated is how they affect the quarterback, and he's excited about the group he has. Yeah, and one thing I thought was really interesting, too, that he pointed out, he looked at D. Ford and Justin Houston, two Pro Bowl pass rushers, edge rushers, outside linebackers that he had. Yeah, his bookends in Kansas City. Yeah. His time in Kansas City, and he mentioned, you know, when you look at the get-off that Ford had and just the pure power that Houston had. He sees both of those traits in Gary. And another thing he mentioned as well, when people want to talk about the sack numbers, at Michigan, they had him playing with his hand in the dirt as a six tech. It's really difficult to get pressure on the quarterback as a five tech. That a five tech, you're already on the outside shoulder, you know, basically lined up with the tackle. Right. Six tech, you're even wider as a defensive lineman in terms of what his assignments are there. He's not just an edge rusher in a two point stance just jet rushing towards the quarterback there are assignments that go along with that he said that that also factored in in green bay as uh, i believe it was also it was either smith or it was jerry montgomery had mentioned you know they are already in some of these practices zadarius smith and in rashawn gary they're working with the defensive linemen in some of these drills uh these positional drills they're trying to cross train these guys and working together to make sure that yeah they're good on their stunts but also so that when Zadarius Smith has to go inside or when Gary's going to go inside, those guys can you know fit the bill and those one and three techniques and sub packages. So it's a very interesting blend of talent that they had. I think the biggest change that you've seen from last year to this year, Clay Matthews was very versatile. Clay Matthews wasn't going to play one tech nose in a dime package. Yeah. Nick Perry did a little of it, but in the, in the end, he was mostly an outside guy. Both of the Smiths, Gary, they're going to move around. They're going to use these guys in different ways. And as Mike Smith said, they're going to have four outside linebackers on the field again. Packers at times last year didn't have four outside linebackers on the 53-man roster. <laughs> right. So I just think it's a, it's a new day for the defensive line. There's an energy there. And Mike Smith, man, we've only had two interactions with him so far in the media. But this is the type of guy that I think I'd want to play for. Well, this is another interesting thing I'm going to throw out there too because, as you know, about a week ago, I got a one-on-one -on -one interview with Mike Pettin for a Packers yearbook story that I'm working on that'll be published in the Packers yearbook later this summer. And just going over different things, different position groups, all the change that's going on on the defense, and completely unprompted, Mike Pettin said he called Mike Smith the best outside linebackers coach in this league. Now, he wasn't as animated about it as Mike Smith was at the podium talking about Rashawn Gary, but Mike Pettin's been around the block. This, yeah. is, this is not his first rodeo. And I sense just from that comment how excited he is as a defensive coordinator that a guy that played for him and a guy that he knows as well as he does and has followed Mike Smith's coaching career, even if they haven't worked together at every stop, that this is the guy that's coaching his outside linebackers in this defense. There is definitely a, there, there's a there's a palpable excitement to how this is starting to come together. And the other thing you have to take in consideration too, I mean, the proof is in the pudding when you look at some of the guys that Smith has developed. Kansas City, I know they had their ups and downs as an overall defense these past few years, but they've had so many young pass rushers emerge underneath him and and before that during his time with the the New York Giant New York Jets being able to have the success that they did. So I, I just think it's a new day. I, I think there's a lot of excitement and anticipation that 
you know, whether it is, you know, Rashawn Gary, we're not expecting him to come out and have 15 sacks out of the gate, but as he develops and having Kyler Fackrell coming back after 10 sacks, uh, they were both, both Petten and Smith were effusive in their praise of, of Gilbert, uh, Reggie Gilbert and being assignment sure. There's five guys there now, in addition to some, you know, returning players that all are going to be competing for snaps in there. And the yeah. bigger that that rotation gets, the fresher that guys get, and the more that you can do with them in the third and fourth quarter. Yeah, well, staying on the defensive side of the ball and speaking of competition, one of the things that we had discussed in our OTA preview was uh, was how things were going to look at the safety position. Uh, Darnell Savage is indeed with the number one defense right from the get-go. He's paired with Adrian Amos when the ones are out there. It is those two guys. But the other thing that's interesting here, Wes, because as we had mentioned, Josh Jones is not at OTAs. There are reports that he's potentially requesting a trade. We'll see what happens as the rest of the spring goes along. We get to the mandatory minicamp when all players are required to be here later in June. But in Josh Jones' absence, you talk about opportunity knocking on the door. Raven Green, um, he, this is a guy coming off of a, an injury last year. You wouldn't know he missed a bunch of time with right. injury just based on physically like how he looks. And then another young guy, Natrell Jamerson, who came out of the University of Wisconsin, has bounced around to some different teams and bounced around between cornerback and safety. He's also now getting a look at safety with uh, Josh Jones not being around. So um, there's definitely comp, even though – Amos and Savage, they're your they're your top pair. There's some legitimate competition in that safety group for playing time. And Mike Petton said too, I mean, safeties are still going to be in play at that inside linebacker position as well. I think if they had their druthers, you're going to have or I should say uh, Oren Burke settling in there. Yeah. But they still need that hybrid tendencies and some of these guys also work the slot as well. So you need to have a really good core of four and sometimes more at that safety position. Jamerson I think is one of those guys that fits into what Jason Simmons, the defensive backs coach was talking about. There's no qualifications, no position listed on him. They just want to get these guys out there, give them the most opportunities they can. If Josh Jones isn't here, that's going to open up reps in that second team defense. It's going to open up and really afford Darnell Savage the majority of the reps next to Amos, who those two guys are being viewed as the cornerstones now for this defense and providing stability there. But getting back to Raven Green, man, I mean, that reminds me of a young Mike Spofford (laughs) on the campus of Lawrence University. Got got the sleeves up, the guns are out, you know, kind of just putting out a vibe. I mean, as I wrote in inbox, that's a young man that did not take his offseason lightly. I mean, he went and put in some work. He did finish last year on injured reserve, but he did some really good things to make this roster as an undrafted rookie and to be able to you know, also contribute the way he did on special teams. The Packers like him. I mean, coming out of James Madison, he didn't have a whole lot of buzz. He was viewed as one of those kind of diamonds in the rough type player, but they've had success finding those guys in the undrafted ranks that have been able to contribute on special teams and at the safety position. And right now, with the way that that depth chart looks, the position's there for him to really you know, solidify himself in that number three role on the back end. Yeah, well, you mentioned special teams, and that's the point I was going to make as well. When you're talking about these guys who are getting their reps in the 11-on-11 in the practices we watch, when we see them getting reps with the twos and the threes, especially the guys who are with the twos, if that's where they are on the depth chart right now, then it's like, okay, those are the ones you make the note of and go, okay, when the preseason games roll around, we're going to be watching punt return, punt coverage, kickoff return, kickoff coverage, because 
if those guys who are with the twos are also making a name for themselves on special teams and getting noticed there, those are the guys who are going to make the 53. We've seen, we've seen it every year. They might not get a snap with the number one defense or the number one offense all training camp or even in any preseason game. But if they're making plays on special teams in the preseason and they're holding on to the number two spot right. at their at their position with the second unit, those are the guys. Those are the guys who make the fifty-three, and they're the guys that the coaching staff is counting on to be impact players on special teams and to be able to step in when somebody goes down. Yeah, and one of the things people always ask, especially in the days leading up to final cuts and that last preseason game, is okay, who's in and who's out, who's on the bubble. There is one litmus test for you to be able to figure that out, and it's how specifically that I've always the thing I've always used is how their kickoff coverage unit looks, mm-hmm. how their kickoff return unit looks, who's on those number one teams. That's where we started to get a hint that yeah, James Crawford really has a chance at this thing. <laughs> yeah, a guy that showed up two weeks into training camp, and all of a sudden uh, the last preseason game, he's on all the number one special yeah. teams units. He's making a bunch of plays, and you and I are looking at each other in the press box, going, "Hey, when this guy showed up, we didn't even give him a second thought because it was September eighth or September." September 10th, or I mean, sorry, August, August 8th, August 10th, whatever day it was that he showed up. All of a sudden at the last preseason game, we're looking at each other going, this guy's got a legitimate chance to make the team. It's a one percenter because there's so many guys that get added after j- training camp starts. And to be honest with you, Michael, I can only think of two, him and Chris Banjo. Chris Banjo's the, the other one, absolutely. But getting back to that point I was making about special teams, and I know this will bring up some bad memories for Packers fans, but, but Brandon Bostic in 2014, DJ Williams was the number one guy in in the little posse on that kickoff return unit. And then suddenly Brandon Bostic one day at practice overtook him. Bostic made the 53, Williams didn't. So that's the thing to track. I mean, there is some validation to what you see on the field when you get to training camp. So whether or not it's a, a Raven Green or a James Crawford, when those guys start to get that work, especially late into the summer, that's when you can start to feel not necessarily good, but start to get an idea of, you know what, I have a real chance at, at making this thing happen. Yeah, well, it's definitely something that we watch, uh, you know, right from the get-go in training camp when the pads go on. But uh, quickly here, Wes, the powerful noise-canceling technology that helps NFL coaches block out 80,000 screaming fans can get you closer to the music you love. Learn more at www.bose.com Packers. Bose, the official headphones of the Green Bay Packers, and at Homer here in the stands, we all know that Green Bay fans give it their all, and that takes a lot of energy, so grab a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Packers fans everywhere. Try the delicious classic chicken noodle soup. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers. I have to be my own ombudsman here to make sure I get this right. I don't want anything to be inaccurate. That was 2013, not 2014, when Bostic overtook right. D.J. Williams. Yes, D.J. Williams was uh, did not make the team in 2013. Well, we're all about accuracy here on Packers on Square. We do our best, we, and we know people will call us out <laughs> yes. when we're wrong. So, uh, so, yeah, we definitely try to stay on top of that. Shifting gears quickly, Wes, to the offensive side of the ball, we did hear from quarterback Aaron Rodgers at his locker after that open practice earlier this week. And he was asked a lot of questions, obviously, about learning and processing the new offense and how's it going. And he's reserving a lot of judgment, you know, as far as 11-on-11 type stuff. They had a couple days of a veteran minicamp before the draft. They're just a couple of days into OTAs. He's not going to draw any grand conclusions. But he did say he's sort of laying it out there for himself that by the end of these OTAs and then that mandatory minicamp in the middle of June, he wants to be at a 
a certain comfort level with this offense so that he can come back in training camp and just be in a very different place. Now, there's still going to be learning and installing and all of that that goes on in training camp as well. But I kind of get the sense, I'll just bounce this off of you to see if you agree. I get the sense hearing from Rodgers the other day that he knows that he has a lot to learn, but he's also kind of looking at, he. he's like the kid who has to go home every night and is doing all of the extra studying and the extra homework so that he comes back to the classroom the next day and, and is raising his hand all the time because he's taking, what I'm saying is he's taking the leadership responsibility of this, of the transition to the new offense very, very seriously. He knows he's the signal, signal caller. He's got the ball in his hands every play. He's the two-time MVP. He's the guy who's got to lead the charge here. The coaches are only going to be able to do so right. much to teach these guys this offense. Aaron Rodgers knows that there's a lot on his shoulders, and he's not backing away from any of it. No, it is funny you bring that up because the way I did read that, especially after listening to the defensive assistant coaches, there were two players on this team that are probably the exception. Everybody else is trying to learn the playbook. Then you have Aaron Rodgers on offense and Blake Martinez, Blake Martinez on defense. On defense yeah. And it's like they have to be the master level, like the <laughs> AP style, like yeah. the, the one that's above that. And it, it, certainly both of those guys embrace it. Rodgers, it's very interesting to another degree because, like as Matt LaFleur has said numerous times this offseason, he's going to still have a lot of freedom at the line of scrimmage to check out of things and to, to try to get the Packers' offense into the best play possible. Well, in order to do that, you need to know this offense inside and out. And for people unfamiliar with what the offseason program is as compared to training camp, at least during the time that Mike McCarthy was here, those OTA practices and then into the minicamp, those are basically used as a avenue towards installing the entire offense. Then by the time you get done, you dismiss players, they come back five years later, and then you go through the process again. It's almost like researching and then implementing. Now, Matt LaFleur said he, I, the way I understood it when he talked at the podium a couple days ago was that, okay, maybe they won't have everything in, but we're going to know what this offense is by the time they break after mandatory minicamp on July, uh, January 14th. from June. Rod June 14th. Yeah. And from Roger's perspective, he wants to be on top of that because once they get back July 25th, I got that date right, it's, it's you know, you're all systems go. Yeah, it's full speed ahead come July 25th. And, you know, Roger's... He had said earlier in the offseason program, he's talking about having, you know, this This is not a grace period year. I mean, this is a veteran quarterback, a lot of veteran players on offense. When you look at the offensive line, you look at your number one and number two receivers, you look at your number one running back. These are all guys who have been in the NFL, your top tight ends, guys who have been in the NFL for a long time. This is not, uh, this is not some kind of a redshirt year for the, for the offense just because it's new. Come training camp, Rodgers wants to be able to hit the ground running, and that's what makes this these three weeks of OTAs and the mandatory minicamp when they get they get a lot of 11-on-11 11 11, makes it so important because, as you said, Wes, first they install the offense in the classroom through a lot of the OTA. They have, they have a lot of meetings. I'm, sh I'm sorry, through the offseason program. Right. They have a lot of meetings through phase one and phase two. Then in phase three, they're still having meetings, but they're also getting to do the 11 on 11 stuff. It's the first time to try that all out. Then you get to training camp and it kind of all gets 
crammed in together where you're having because the days are longer the players are here a lot longer throughout the day you're having the meetings and the practices and then meetings that are reviewing the practice film and you're cramming all of uh all of that installation classroom and on the field into those first few weeks of training camp then to get ready for the preseason game so this is where they get to take it slow and learn it and then the pace of everything is ramped up come late July. Absolutely. I mean, that's the way it has to be in this environment now with the CBA and being able to kind of maximize those days. It's one reason why, too, when Matt LaFleur was asked, you know, is the team going to break during minicamp? Mike McCarthy had always, actually the last couple of years, I don't even know if the veterans were even participating in the minicamp. Yeah. They'd always break and do team-building exercises. LaFleur basically put it out there saying, no, we need all three of those days to be able to get to where we want to get to, not only with his offense, but with Mike Pettin and his defense. He has new players coming in, Rashawn Gary, all these free agents, in right. addition to the guys who are back, are only one year in the scheme. So time is so valuable right now. It is voluntary. Players are not obligated to be here. But you look at that receiver battle, which we'll talk a little bit about next week. Yeah. You tell me you don't want to be the young receiver that's not here for that, being able to try to carve <laughs> out the number two or number three starting spot in this offense. Some high stakes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. Subscribe to our podcast. Like us on iTunes and other podcast services if you're so inclined. On Twitter, you can follow him at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Enjoy the holiday weekend. We'll see you next time.